0: Uh, it's great to be with you. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Jay, uh, and uh, it's an opportun- it's a great opportunity to be here. I get the opportunity to serve on staff as Minister of Regional Leader Development, which means I get the opportunity to serve in a number of different uh, church and ministry contexts across Southeastern PA, Cornerstone's our home church and our sending uh, uh, base of operations. And so I uh, get the chance to come back here every now and again every couple of months or so and, and uh, bring the word and from a regional update perspective, right? So what I do is if you draw a triangle between Baltimore, Philly, and Harrisburg, I work a lot in that, in that triangle um, and get the opportunity to interact with a lot of leaders and a lot of different uh, ministry contexts. So when it comes to how it is that I come back to Cornerstone, it's oftentimes from the perspective of a, uh, what we call a, a regional update. Um, which sounds a lot like reporting, although I think reporting is boring, um, uh, just telling somebody what, what you've been doing. I'd rather uh, help us see together what it is that uh, some observations into what God is doing, which I find very interesting. Uh, and if you want to know about my comings and goings and whatnot, I'm glad to talk to you about that, uh, where we're working and whatnot. However, today I want to talk about um, uh, a major theme that I'm seeing a- across the, the regional church. and. Uh, it's it's very crucial, I think, to what it is that God's doing in His body. Um, I think that a lot of us in different ministry contexts, where we work, it doesn't matter if it's urban or rural, it doesn't matter if uh, um, if it's like a new ministry or a very historic ministry or a very historic church or a new church plant. Um, this common theme that we're going to talk about today, I'm seeing everywhere, and uh, uh, without like being too dramatic. I think that this is the core of the problem on on many levels. And uh, I also think that it's an extremely historically shame-based concept that I want to talk about today. Because what I want to talk about is reading your Bible. Um, And uh, right now, I mean, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, something just happened in your head. You went back to your youth pastor who told you you weren't a good enough Christian because you didn't have daily devotions. Or, you know, you went to, I, I don't understand it anyway. Um, or that's why I come to church uh, so that I, somebody else can tell me what the Bible's saying because it's hard for me. Um, or uh, I'm th- there's just a lot of different reactions that all happened in our minds. Um, and the spiritual discipline of reading God's word, I think, is an extremely, extremely life giving discipline. Um, however, I think a lot of us have uh, been told wrong things about ourselves or about that discipline. And so I just want to start off right at the get-go with some spiritual warfare against that shame, and then we'll step into the actual teaching, because I don't think that the teaching is going to go anywhere unless we delete some hard drives from our file. Does this make sense? Okay, so uh, let's take a posture of prayer, please. Um, and Let's just get in alone alone in a quiet spot with the Lord um, and with the Holy Spirit, and wherever you're at there in that place, just... Invite the Holy Spirit into the presence of your heart, but particularly invite him into your mind uh, right now. Like, Just go ahead and open your mind up to what it is that he's going to give. So just say a quick prayer to the Holy Spirit in the quietness of your own own mind, um, inviting whatever it is that he wants to reveal or release or restore, anything that needs to be discovered or uncovered or recovered, And today we're going to be talking about the scriptures and God's story and knowing God's story. So um, in your spiritual hard drive, why don't you just find any and all of the files that have to do with that, particularly from your history, whatever it is that you were told about the Bible or not told about the Bible or ways that you've engaged the spiritual discipline of reading the scriptures or not reading the scriptures. And now in that place with the Holy Spirit, with those files sort of brought to the front, ask the Holy Spirit to show you which ones are toxic, uh, which ones are shame-based, which ones are lies versus truth, which ones are saying things about you that God would never say, which ones are telling you that you're not smart, Which ones are telling you that that's for professionals? While we're in this quiet place, I just also want to speak to those of us in the room who grew up like very disciplined, and so we know the Bible really well. So we might even bring a level of spiritual arrogance to the situation, in that like we do know something. that's just as toxic a file, it's going to corrupt your spiritual hard drive. So Father, with all of these things brought to the front and with all of these uh, different things that we've been told about you or about ourselves, um, particularly the ones that you're highlighting as corrupted or as deceitful or as shame-based, God, in in all of those places, Lord, would you please now just um, delete those files? And through our time together, would you replace them with what it is that you want us to know about you and about your word? Where deceit has told us something that's not true about you, in Jesus' name, we just we wash that with the word of God, with the truth of who God is, that God is gracious and loving, that he delights in both telling us and inviting us into his story. Where accusation has set in, has told you something that's not true about ourselves. God, would you just shift that? Reveal to us the truth of our identity in you and what it means for us to be uh, children of the Most High God. What it means for us to interact with you, to hear your story. Lord, thank you for communicating to us. You are a God who speaks. And so as we think about what it means for us to be ourselves and to walk uh, as, as true followers of Jesus, and the way that the scriptures interact with that and the way that your story comes to us and finds us and is revealed to us, Lord, would you just bring that in a new way today so that each of us are interacting with the truth of who you are and not the lies of our story or the lies of our present so that we're not interacting with anything false around what it means for us to know you or to know your word or to study your word or to be in you, but rather that there's just the ability to receive today whatever exhortation or correction or truth or encouragement or comfort that there is that you want to bring to us. Uh, We bless you, Lord, and thank you for Jesus, the word of life. So Jesus is the communication from God, and we want to receive Jesus today. And Jesus said, it's better I leave so that the Holy Spirit comes, because the Holy Spirit's going to come and lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit, we invite you to lead us today into what is true and nothing else. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles. Turn to Romans chapter 12. And then once you find Romans 12, stick your finger in Romans 12 and turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Let's listen to what Paul's speaking to us. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing "...against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every vain imagination raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ." Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Now flip back to Romans 12, verse 1. Paul again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. A Pharisee tries to trip up Jesus by asking him, what's the greatest command in the Torah? And Jesus responds with a command that's not a command. Uh, He responds with a creed. And he says, you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So you love your, you love the Lord your God with the fullness of your being, and one of those fullness, part of the fullness of your being is is your mind, and and the way that we interact with God uh, has to do with the whole of who we are. So much of what it is that we're about today, uh, and how it is that we know about our lives and whether our lives are going the way that we want them to or not going the way that we want them to, whether or not we find ourselves in states of confusion and chaos, whether or not we're pleased with what's happening or we're really discontent with what's happening, has to do with how we feel about the situation. And so how, how we feel then determines who we are in that situation. And I think that most of our, our, our strategy about how we live our lives is trying to find the feeling that we want to feel. So if we're feeling something that we don't want to feel, then we oftentimes try and construct artificial ways of feeling something that we're not presently feeling. So if what I'm feeling is pain, the question is, well, how do I stop feeling pain? And how do I find a place that's not painful? One of the world's great answers to that struggle is addiction. You just escape it. If you don't want to feel like that, then drink, or use drugs, or go shopping, or go to church a lot. You could be addicted to all kinds of things, but that, that, that's your escape, because how I feel isn't something that I desire at that point, and so I'm going to find a way to shift that so that how I feel can be how I, how I want to feel. Now, this isn't necessarily a good or a bad thing. It's just descriptive of what's happening. God, it, we, he, Jesus tells us to love the Lord our God with our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. It has a lot to do with passion. It has a lot to do with the fullness of who we are in our beings. Um, but one of the key points, I think, that we skip over is that God tells us to love him with all of our mind. And the scriptures dedicate a, a huge amount of space to talking about the way that we think and how it is that we interact with God and with God's mind. And so here in Romans chapter 12, the verse we just read that we're pretty familiar with, um, we're told that we are not to be conformed to the world. So don't do what the world says. Rather, do what God says. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. So don't, don't be like, don't live low. Live transformationally. Live a different way. How do you do that? Thanks, Paul. Well, you do that by the renewing, of your mind. Here in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, if we look at verse 4 again, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy, pay attention, arguments, number one, and secondly, vain imaginations, or your text might say lofty opinions. Where do arguments take place? They take place up here, Right? Where does your imagination rest? Where do vain imaginations come from? It comes from up here. So if there are strongholds present either in our lives or in our culture, God gives us weapons to fight against those things. But those weapons are, are mind-based. Right? So this is about how we think about God and how we, about how we think about ourselves and about how we think about our situations. So who we are... And how we live our lives needs to be deeply, fully, strongly informed by the right kind of thinking. Because if arguments and vain imaginations exist, and if Paul is saying those are the strongholds that exist in our lives, thanks Paul, what do we do about that? We've got a great advice. It continues. We destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against, against what? What's the text say? Folks, stay with me. What's the text say? Raised against what? The not, where does knowing God take place? Right here. How do you know something? You know it here. So these things are raised against the knowledge of God. This is not just static, right? It's it's not like you're just living your life. Every now and then you check into God. Every and then you go to work. It's that your life is determined, the health of your life is determined, oftentimes by the strongholds that exist in it. Those strongholds are mind-based strongholds. Arguments, vain imaginations, right? Uh, 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 in in uh, Tom and Jerry, it's, it's the, the devil on one side and the angel on the other, you know, back and forth. Here, do, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. And so we have this war that's happening in ourselves. These vain imaginations, in other words, ways of thinking about God or about ourselves that don't hold meaning. These strongholds, they exist, and Paul says they're going to destroy us. So we had to destroy them. How do we destroy them? We destroy them by getting to know God. We we destroy them through the knowledge of God. And he gives us a fuller strategy, raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. A lot of us heard that phrase, take every thought captive to obey Christ, as a way to avoid temptation. You know, like what, what you need to do when you want to have a bad thought, is you need to take that thought, and you need to take it captive, and you need to handcuff it, and you need to put it in jail, and you need to say, God, you're the jailkeeper, now you do with that thing whatever you want to do. Which I just think is a really small way of thinking about this text. Because I suggest that what God wants us to understand is A, the strongholds that we face, and B, how to overcome them with him. And, and that's really the key. That's really the key. Is, is how we think about God is a with God experience. I think we oftentimes think of ourselves as going to class. All right, I'm going to make myself an object lesson here. We oftentimes think about ourselves as going to class. And we go to class, and class can be anything, right? Class can be church. Class can be your favorite Christian podcast. Class can be reading a book if you're into that kind of a thing. Class can be uh, any number of things that we want to put in that. So we go to class, and we know that God loves us personally, and so we go to class, and we sit down, and so we say, God, teach me. And then God teaches us, and he oftentimes teaches us through Pastor Justin or Pastor Matt or some person that we find on the Internet or our friends, social media, Christian feed, you know, or whatever that might be. Teach me. And we take it all in. Do you know how much of this sermon you're going to remember by next Sunday? 7%. That's why I teach for a long time. The math works better. <laughs> if I teach a lot longer, my 7% gets bigger. You know, so uh, we're here till 3 p.m. today. So, uh, but football season, you'll notice, I curtail it. Okay, Um <laughs> So uh, here I am, and I say, God, teach me. And I take it all in, and good, okay. And then I go watch TV. And I watch TV, and I interact with, well, interestingly, I interact with these, what they're saying is not what he said. But I'm not with him right now, I am with them. And I can easily binge eight hours here. And over here, it gets boring pretty quick. So, like, hmm. It doesn't sound like what is being expressed here is what he expressed there. So this person's thought philosophy is different than his thought philosophy, which means I'm experiencing an argument. There's an argument taking place between what's, what's being thought here and what's being thought there. All right, and so I go to... Back to class and and I I move from teaching and and then I go to work. You know, and I'm sitting there at work, and I mean turns out that like this job, A, isn't at all what I thought it would be. B I can't seem to get ahead. Or worse, I'm wildly successful and think I'm incredible. And here I am at work in all of these things, thinking about these things like what are these things? This is vain imagination, it's just vanity. Either thinking I'm a loser or thinking I'm a winner, as though work is about losing and winning. But who made work? God made work. When did he make work? He made work before the fall, which means work is good, which means he's probably got some great insight onto what work's supposed to be. In the meantime, I find myself either empty or arrogant, and here I am living in in, an argument or in a vain imagination. And what I I try and do is go back and like check in to what I consider to be like an academic experience, tell me what's going on, teach me, uh, and give me the things that I need to know. Um, Oftentimes what it is that I'm getting here, I really hope it's therapeutic as much as it is informative because I want this to make me feel good too. Um, So if it comes too hard, then I don't remember 7%, I remember 0%. uh, and then I take that and then I come back and I watch TV or I go to work or, you know what I mean, fill in whatever in these experiences that you want to fill in to make that, to make that happen. What, what, but where does God stay in this situation? He stays right there. Because for me, the text becomes that. And, and any, anything can be in here. Like my, my, my personal devotions can be in here. My, my Bible reading in the morning or my shame for not reading the Bible in the morning can be here. There, there's all kinds of things and ways that God can present himself to me that might not, I'm sorry, there's all kinds of ways that God can be presented that, God, that might not be God. What we end up doing then is actually living with our strongholds and falsely thinking that they're falling down because we're going to church or because we go to small group or because we check in with Francis Chan on YouTube you know, or because we buy a, a Christian book and read it. Like we, we think that that does something. That doesn't do anything. Uh, I love this book. I love this book more than I, I, there are few other things outside of my family <laughs> that I love more than this book. This is just black ink on white pages, unless this is enlivened by the Holy Spirit, unless this is taught not by me and not by somebody smart but but by him. And so I, when, I, when I say, like, you know how Jay says, like these grand generalizations from time to time, th- this morning I, I said, you know, I really think this is the core of the matter. I really do. It, and, and I'm just going to make it real specific here. Um, I, I, regional update. The regional church, particularly the Western church as I'm experiencing it right now, is, uh, is quite unhealthy because Christian adults do not know God's story. And so they're not giving God's story to their kids. They're giving a form of it. Like, it's, it's churchy. It's, it, it's veneered. It's, it's, in my opinion, it, it's a mile wide, but only an inch deep. Because we haven't done the, the really deep work of mining God's story from the revelation that he's given us. And so I'm finding young adults with the complete inability to process their life through God. They're trying to process their life through church, or they're trying to process their life through their spiritual experiences. But it's not through God. He, he, it's, it's, not, it's not his words that come to the front. I made four 20-somethings very, very angry this past week Because we got to talking about Hillsong and Bethel and IHOP and the uh, worship music industry. And I just simply said, I don't know that these things are helpful. That's all I said. Was that I don't know that these things are helpful. I didn't say they're bad. I didn't say they're wrong. There's some good stuff coming out of all those places. I just said, I don't know that this is helpful. And you would have thought that I said that their mother was ugly. Um, Because two of them were of Hillsong and two of them were of Bethel. And they had somehow figured out how to get along with each other. And I said, I'm really sorry for offending you, but you need to know this is my problem. Like, I'm the reason that we're having this argument. Do you know why? Because me and my generation, we built youth group and we adopted Christian contemporary music. So we dichotomized our worlds and we dichotomized our churches, which opened up the door for worship to be being bought and sold in concert experiences. So and I, I, like, I tried to like, repent toward them for that, and they would have absolutely none of it. There was no ability to even think about like, repentance or generational sin or any of those things. And so for two and a half hours, I sat with these folks that I deeply offended <laughs> and, like, try, and like, walked them through God's story of, of how generational sin works and about how when we think about God the wrong way, that it can get passed on so that other poor thinking about God gets transmitted through generations and sort of built this thing out so that by the time we got down at the bottom, at, at the end, after two and a half hours, we were actually at a point where they could have a conversation about whether or not Hillsong and Bethel were healthy for our current church experiences. Then we had to go. So we never actually had the conversation. And all it, is, all it was was an observation. I'm not trying to make a judgment on it. I just wonder. I'm not here to talk about Hillsong and Bethel or the worship music industry. That's a different sermon. However, what I would love is the ability for us to take everything that interacts with our minds and to filter it through the grid of God and through the grid of the scriptures so that what's interpreting our experiences is not our experiences. What's interpreting our story is God's story. Here are some examples of what I'm talking about. Friend posted on uh, uh, Facebook this past week a link to a Wall Street Journal article called "The Overprotected American Child" about helicopter parenting and how kids can't stand on their own two feet and parents are terrified to let their kids be alone, so on and so forth. Um, and and I'm not here to wax eloquently on on this uh, on this topic. However, um, the author she says this like a lot of Generation Xers. I have my own memories of a carefree of a carefree childhood riding bicycles and playing tag with other neighborhood children, my parents nowhere in sight. They seem to trust their instincts. But today, how do you go with your gut when you're bombarded by hyperventilating social media posts, shrill parenting advice books, and a neurotic cultural tide? And what about disapproving neighbors and spouses? These are the arguments and the vain imaginations. Did you hear them? Hyperventilating social media posts, shrill parenting advice books, neurotic cultural tide, disapproving neighbors and spouses, right? Th- th- those are the argument bringers. Those are the va- vain imagination builders. And the idea of taking the concept of how do I both keep my kids safe and build an autonomous child who can think and be on their own, and how do I feel- like the Bible's not even mentioned, not that I respect the Wall Street Journal to. However, I talk with Christian parents where the Bible's not even mentioned either. Where it's not even there. Where it's sort of like parenting is something I've got to figure out on my own. And I basically figure it out through Facebook and Instagram. And whatever it is my friends are saying, or whatever it is the, 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 the latest blog that I'm reading is saying, or the, and not that those things can't be good tools, but if those tools aren't submitted to the wisdom of God and His concept of parenting, and we're not drawing that to the front, and authoritatively over everything, then what do we have to stand on? It's just going to be more of the same. Here's another Wall Street Journal article while I was on there. Some younger evangelicals waver in support for Israel. How should you think about Israel? How should you think about Palestine? How should you think about what's happening in a land that God claimed for himself a long time ago? However, doesn't it seem like Israel might be being a little bit uh, um, ethically challenged in the way that they're approaching things? Like, is it okay to just be told everything Israel does is right? Do you have a framework for this? Can you go to the text and, and look at it and let it inform how you view what it means for Israel to be blessed like God said that it would be blessed? Can you be addicted to watching The Office? here's why you actually can't get enough. Fascinating, because at our house, the office is on all the time. We love it. It's like family, which is exactly the point of the article. The article's saying people love watching The Office. It's the most over-binged, like binged over and over again show, because when, when, when you watch it, you know where everybody's going to be. Jim's always where Jim belongs, and- Sam's always where she belongs, and Michael's always acting like an idiot. And you know, like Everybody's normal. There's a level of security. There's a level of presence. You know what's going to happen. When you want. Well, that, that says something about our psychology, right? That says something about human need. That says something about what we see as comfort. And watching The Office over and over is neither here nor there. The question is, is what, what might God say about some of those human needs that come out when we view that? Billy Graham built a movement. Now his son is dismantling it. What are we going to do without Billy Graham? John Stott died a few years ago. What are we going to do without these two giants? Who's going to pick up their mantle? And how did Franklin Graham get thrown under the bus? Like, if I read this article, am I just going to read it? Or am I going to read it? What teenagers are learning from online porn? This article, don't read this one unless you've got a strong stomach, folks. Um, But the level of perverted sexuality, even from a mindset that's against online porn, a secular mindset against online porn, the perverted nature of that is still so deeply entrenched that this person is writing against the usage of online porn across the board and doing so completely irredemptively, and is building a stronghold every bit as powerful as online porn. But, interesting article. Why the stock market is crashing now, and what you should do about it. How should you think when the market goes into a correction for three months that nobody actually sees? How do you think about your investments? How do you think about your finances? What does it mean for us to think about those things with God, Newtown is still so raw five years after Sandy Hook. Five years ago that happened. This article is, I mean, gut-wrenching. I cried reading it as these parents talk about how the shooting may as well have been yesterday. Like, how do you read something so gut-wrenching and so hurtful with God? Because I think that that's really what it is that the Lord desires for us when it comes to us knowing his story, and studying his book. Because this situation is never meant to be academic. I'd suggest this is actually meant to be the totality of our lives. So that the way that we live our lives, the way that we engage vain imaginations and arguments, the strongholds in our lives, the way that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind is not by checking in with God from time to time to try and cram in as much as we can get, 7%, or however, whatever it is that we, that we access and then try and take that with us somewhere. Because we don't have to live low like that. Because... What he delights in doing is saying, so let's watch TV together. You're like, I don't want God to know what I watch. Well, yeah, I mean, if you can't do it with God, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. So here we are, and here's this thing interacting with me. And what do you, what's, what's going on? And, and allow the Holy Spirit to say, like, did you, did you pick up on this? Did you see this? That's a vain imagination. That's, a, that, that's an argument. It got to work. I'll be with him in that spot so that how do I interact with this person who was just a jerk to me or how do I interact with the fact I didn't get the promotion or how do I interact with the fact that I don't actually like what I do. You know, What does this mean? How do, I, how do I think about myself in this? And, I would suggest every one of the situations, and TV and work are just two examples, are opportunities where God wants to say, that's a great question, but what I'm really interested in is us right here. So let's talk about that. Like, let's do that. Because I can sit there, oftentimes, and what I say to God is, God, I don't like this. Change it. And if he doesn't change it, then I say, God, then you just stay over here where you belong. I'll take care of it myself. And then when life doesn't go the way that I want it to, God's the first person I point the finger at and say, why don't I feel the way that I want to feel? But even those questions, I think, are informed by a lack of knowledge of who God is because I don't know that we're finding him well in this. And so because we're not knowing his story well, and because we're not interacting with the text well, because we're not making this, not, this, is, this isn't a place to have your devotions. Absolutely. The spiritual discipline of reading the scriptures is important. Do it. I mean, consume this every day. Absolutely. However, understand that what you're actually doing is you're not just reading your Bible. You're, you're building a framework for how you think about your life. At least that's the goal. I... Uh, I, I, I would also... Well, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me I need to check in. Okay, so this is a teaching I gave a while ago, and I'm not going to repreach this sermon, but I do think that there's an, an interesting construct in it. Um, so when it comes to hearing God, right, the, this, this sermon was about hearing God. Um, when it comes to hearing God, people ask, well, how do I actually do that? Um, so this was the, some, some counsel that, that I offered. Ways that a person can, can hear from the Lord. Number one, start with whom you know. So you're talking to a person who has revealed himself through his word. He's revealed himself through the written word. He's revealed himself through creation, which declares his glory. He's revealed himself by incarnating himself and being among us. And he's revealed himself by sending his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Those are all the points of revelation. Oh, I'm sorry. And through the community of faith. So we, we see God and hear God in one another. However, when it comes to the noise of our experiences and of our lives, this is the one thing that remains concrete. That our circumstances can't shift. So that the level of pain that I feel in my life that screams at me, God isn't good. I come back to this foundation and see that yes, he is. And the question is then in that spot, which side of the argument do I go with? Because while I might not understand it, and I might not certainly might not feel it, what has the Lord spoken? And how is it that he wants to interact with me in it? So you start with whom you know. This is a person sharing his story with you. Number two, you get to know him in his library. This is not a book. This is a library. This is 66 books, written over thousands of years, and composed by the same author. So the themes within it, are integral and integrated, and they work together. So getting to know God in his library is vital so that the books can speak to the books and the stories can speak to the stories. There's a reason why the book of Acts continually quotes the Old Testament because it's the same story. Remember when Paul, I'm reading N.T. Wright's biography of Paul. He makes this brilliant point. Remember when Paul had his conversion experience on the road to Damascus, He's on the road to Damascus, bright light. Paul, why are you persecuting me? Who am I persecuting, Lord? You're persecuting me, Jesus. Paul did not turn to God that day. Paul still believed in the one God that he'd always believed in. What God became for him that day was the fullest revelation of who he had made himself to that point. <laughs> No, it just blew my mind. Maybe you've had that thought before. I had not had that thought before. Like, wow, that's fantastic. You know, I think about Paul in a different way then. So then I, I oftentimes think about that in my own life too. Like I grew up as a church kid and, uh, you know, all that knowledge that I got before I really started following Jesus with my life. What was that about? Like, is that good? Is that bad? Do I trust that? Do I not trust that? Well, yeah, it's the same story. I might need to think about it differently with the Lord now because of the fullest revelation I understand from him. So I get to know him in his, in his library. But I tell you what, you know, you know how, to do all, how to really not enjoy N.T. Wright's biography on Paul is to sit down with the Lord and to say, God, today I'm going to learn from you, from Dr. Wright. I'm going to open this up. Okay, I read a page. I'm done. I'll be back tomorrow. What's that going to do for that book? It's going to do absolutely nothing. My study of Wright's biography of Paul is going to be disjointed. I'm not going to stay, be able to stay with the flow. I'm certainly not going to pick up on the major themes because it's a book, right? Like The book is meant, it's meant to be read. So you read a page and you turn the page and then you read it and then you read it and then you turn the page and you read. And when we read the Bible, we read chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians is 15 verses long. I question whether or not I'm going to do it to begin with cuz I've got a pretty busy day and there got so okay. Good. Devotions are done. Now I'm going to watch TV. You know, and so it, it's not about the time thing. Like don't hear me shaming you about how you use your time or don't use your time. What I do want to say is where's your heart invested? Like what, what you 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 can't read—it's a, it's a book. Like, like the, book of, the book of Ezra should be read in one sitting. If you don't read all 10—I'm sorry, 11 chapters of Ezra in one setting, like, then you're going to miss what's in there. And furthermore, you should stop at chapter 6, and then turn to Haggai and read his two chapters, and then go back and then read the rest of Ezra, because that's what actually happened in the, in the chronology. And you're like, right now, like, Jay, see? That's why we need you. I had no idea— Haggai was in the middle of that book so thank you that's the seven percent I'm going to remember from your teaching today (laughs) but I mean honestly folks we live in the day when there's way too much information and it's such a blessing to have it (laughs) I mean just google Ezra and in two minutes you can see that Haggai is inserted between six and seven anybody can if you can use google you can find out how to read Ezra Uh, Justin has introduced us to the, the Bible Project. All right, the Bible Project is a great way to learn God's story. But please, for God's sake, literally, I don't mean that in swearing, I'm like, for the sake of God, do not let the Bible Project be your teacher. Let the Bible Project point you to the book. So that if, if, you, if you watch a video about Ezra from the Bible Project, go and read Ezra and see what it is that God tells you. See what it is that happens in that spot. Like, let God's library form your view of him. Cultivate a life that is toward God. See, a life that's toward God is not one that leaves God in the academic environment that we check in every now and then, and we listen and say, okay, give me what I need to know. I've got a week ahead of me. You've got 45. 7% Thank you. And then we run back over here. We watch TV. We go to work. We deal with our kids. We do whatever else we're going to do. In the meantime, we are engaging day in and day out all of these arguments and vain imaginations. All of these things that the news throws at us and that social media throws at us and that books throw at us and that our history throws at us and that our fears throw at us and that, uh, that our, our, our friends' stories interact with. Like all of this stuff is coming at us and we don't have the proper filter, the proper grid to take everything that comes in contact with our minds and to filter it through God's word. So that when my pain says to me, God's not good. And when somebody that I tell a story to about the pain that I experienced says, and you're a Christian? Like, don't you think God should be helping you out here? I don't filter that through God's word. Then I, instead I think, you know what? Yeah, he freaking should. So God must not be good. And now I've built a completely God void stronghold based around a wrong belief about who He is that is going to wreak havoc in my life. Because, in my opinion, the goal is for every situation that you and I come in contact with work, TV, music, friends, relationships, parenting, uh, uh, name it, leisure time, work time, doesn't matter. That everything that we come in contact with is meant to be put through the grid of the scriptures. So that they can tell us how to think about what's happening. Um, Yeah, we saw this. It's a good sermon. Download it. It's good stuff. Um, How do I know if it's me or God? Good stuff. Yeah, it's uh, excellent. Here we go. This is my teaching. I'm allowed to say these things, I guess. Uh, Okay, assumptions matter. This part's crappy. I'm just kidding. It's great. Um, I was just saying it was good. Uh, Assumptions matter. Listen closely. If you believe God doesn't speak, then he can't. If you believe God doesn't speak, then he can't. If for you, this is just a book that you don't understand, then you never will. If you believe that God wants to teach you through it, though, and if With the Holy Spirit, you read and say, teach me. And even if you, like, make things easy on yourself, or, like, maybe reading's not your thing, but listening is, regardless, you gotta get the book into you. So, like, download version or go to Bible Gateway, get the Bible Gateway app, which has a play button in the upper right-hand corner, and you can just play God's word. I listened to Ezra, that's why I stuck in my head. I listened to Ezra the other day, 25 good minutes of my life, you know, on the drive to the office. It it wasn't hard, and it was really interesting and insightful. There are ways, there are ways that we are given today, tools that we've been given like never before, to have the scriptures, easy access. And I just want to encourage us as the people of God, like we need this. God has crafted this to help us as much as the enemy is using it to distribute online porn. There is incredible stuff on there that can be so helpful to you. And if you don't know how to curate it, you have good pastors and elders and shepherds and communities here that can help you curate it. But for Pete's sake, do it. No, for Pete's sake. Yeah, it was God's sake before. For the sake of God, I should say, because I actually mean it that, do that, get in it, eat it, eat the book. But if you believe God doesn't speak, then He can't. If it if it's just the Bible, then you will never get anything from it. If you believe God won't speak, then He won't. So this is important because, again, I suggest this one here is a stronghold that's built on uh, a vain imagination. That God, that God doesn't speak to his people. Well, if we believe God doesn't speak, then, then then I mean, there it is. You've made the decision. If you expect God to speak and then listen, you will hear Him. If you expect God to speak and then listen, you you will hear Him. It might be different than what you're expecting, but but you will hear Him because He is the God who speaks. And the way he speaks is through Christ. Notice. Notice Paul in Second Corinthians 10. What does he say? That these strongholds are raised against the knowledge of God. So what do we do? We take every thought. This is why I say every experience in our life needs to get filtered through God's word. We take thought, every thought, we take captive, every thought unto God. And we process that With God. So that that thing isn't free out there to tell me whatever it wants to say. And I'm not free to make it say whatever I want it to say. But rather God's informing what it's saying and how it's speaking to me. And that's how all of us in this room can read the exact same passage of scripture. And be on the same page as far as content goes. And have it speak to us in different ways. Because that's the various beautiful diamond of God's people. That as you turn that thing, the light refracts through it differently. And we actually learn the depths of God from one another. Because when we ask God to speak, He does. God delights in speaking. However, hearing God is not for everyone. And this is what the point is, right? So hearing God is not for everyone. But Jay, you just said every person can hear God. Yes, absolutely. However, hearing God is for a life that is toward God. So if your life is running around like a chicken with your head cut off and all these other things that you want that God is not a part of, where the chaos and noise of those things is so increasing that all you hear in your life and are being defined by is the chaos and noise. Since when has being busy become a state of being? But when we ask people, how are you? The common response is I'm busy. That's not a way to be. That's an activity. That shouldn't define your identity. But that's How that's noise that's chaos and so we find ourselves swirling in here and then It's taking over and we're not finding purpose or meaning and 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 our lives are spinning out of control And somewhere in the midst of this we cry out God, where are you? Why are you letting all this happen? And in the meantime, God's way back there We check in from time to time But the noise and the chaos have become so loud and so destructive that in the midst of this we quite literally cannot hear him Because our life isn't toward him. If you want to hear God, he will absolutely speak to you. But he will speak to you based on how he brings himself to you. That's what makes him God. Because he knows what it is you actually need. And so when we come back to this spot time and time again, I think the major thing that God says it's just, it's really nice to be with you. It's, it's great to have this experience together. Because what God really enjoys is speaking. What he really enjoys is being with his people. Furthermore, he loves the same thing that we love, which is food. God's, God's word almost always happens over a meal. So if you, if you let the picture play itself out, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice, I will open the door and come in with, to him and we will eat together. And that's it. Not, and then we'll go work or anything like that. Just, we're going to hang out and we're going to eat food. That's not an evangelistic text. That's written to the church. And so many of us have the door of our hearts. Furthermore, even more destructively, the door of our minds are closed. And God's standing there going, if you want something, open this door. But that, that's a life that's toward God. Open the door, you're toward God, come in, let's sit down. What do you do over a meal? You chill, you talk, you hang out. I guarantee you some of the best interactions you've ever had with people in your whole life have been around food. Because that's what that's for, it's to be together, it's to enjoy, it's it's to engage presence. And and here we are in this spot, and this is where we hash things out, this is where we talk. But we, we, we miss this because of the noise and chaos of our lives. God delights in speaking to his people. God delights in knowing us. But hearing God is for a life that is toward him. So what happens when we don't know the scriptures is that we don't know God's story, right? We, we don't know God's story, which, and hear this for what it's worth, right? so, which means we don't know God. I mean, you cannot say, Jay, I know you, if you don't know something about where I've come from. I mean, I mean just, that's actually, it's pretty offensive as humans, For somebody that you don't know at all to say, I know you. Well, that's a judgment. You don't know me. Back off. And I think we do this to God all the time. God, I know you. I know what you're like. I know you're just waiting to get me. I know you're just up there, you know, looking down, expecting me to go wrong at some point, and you're going to punish me for it. Or we just let God be like this vacuous nothingness. Uh, We talk about the man upstairs you know, or whatever. Um, we we don't, if we don't know the scriptures, we don't know God's story, and therefore, we don't know God. If you don't know someone's story, you don't know that person. Um, we we read our story into the story, which then means our story becomes God's story. This is pretty human uh, when it comes down to it. I mean, this is, we do this all the time. We We generally, like, watch and listen to news outlets that we already agree with. We already know that what we're going to get there is what we've always gotten. We listen to people teach that we pretty much are already in line. With. We don't challenge ourselves stepping outside of those things. Um, you know, like we, we, as Christians, we stay pure from the world. We, we, don't, we, we don't interact with other people's stories uh, because that provides a place of both safety and identity. But when we read the Bible, if we read our story into God's story, then his story becomes our story. I would suggest that we need to interpret our story through his story, which means that then his story becomes our story. We, we need to interpret our story through his story, which means his story becomes our story. Because you're meant to live a life that conforms to Christ. Christ which means his story becomes your story. And his story consists of all kinds of both uh, deeply mysterious things like a cross and incredibly powerful things like a resurrection. And so that as we know him and as we interact with him, when his story becomes our story, we're able to let it stand for what it actually is. And that who it is that Jesus is isn't defined by what it is that we project onto it, but rather it's defined by this. Where the meal that we keep coming back to time and time and time again. See, I would suggest that when we open that door in Revelation 3, and when we sit down, he says, I brought the meal too. Isn't that what he, I mean, he really liked that whole Mary Martha thing. And Mary chose that what was better. So I think the last thing that God would do when he walks into your house in order to be with you is to walk in and then go, so could you work hard, please? I'm going to sit here while you run around the kitchen like a chicken with your head cut off and make this thing good for me. Please make sure it's good. But that's one of the stinking lies that we've been taught about God. That's one of the strongholds is, is that kind of thinking. I think Jesus comes in, and the first thing we say to him is, what can I do for you? How can I work hard for you? And he says, sit down. I brought the meal. Let's hang out. And he sits down. And we sit down. We go, where's the meal? It's right here. Feast. Feast. Consume me. Eat my flesh drink my blood this is my story me given for you so that you can have that thing that i said i most want for you which is life and life abundant so as we approach the table now and it was as we think about what it means for us to take the bread and to dip it into the juice and to 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 embody quite literally embody right that bread and juice becomes a part of your nutritional palate for the day as you embody communion, you also then embody that story. That's the, that's the idea here, is that the story of God and the way that he comes to you, with all of the life that comes from this horrible thing is brought into your very personhood so that the remembrance that you bring is not, is not just an intellectual ascent, it's an actual bringing forward this act into this present moment that says that Jesus is here and he's my savior and his story matters more than anything else. And my story submitting to his story is the best thing that could possibly happen. So I might not be able to make sense of what's going on in my world, but this makes sense. Jesus, here with me, offering himself again to me. His story, interpreting my story so that I can experience life here at cornerstone we sing while we take communion so we'll be singing a couple of songs we invite you to just uh leave your spot whenever you would like to and to make your way back it's going to be in the uh, upper level center uh, this morning gather around there and then you can uh, uh rip off a piece of bread dip it into the juice and so partake of the body and blood of christ um Oh, thank you, thank you, yeah. Um, there's also prayer ministry that's available um, uh, in that same general area as well. And so um, if you, uh, I would encourage every person here to seek prayer. Um, that, that is another way that we get to know God. Uh, and the fullness of who he is is ministered oftentimes to us by others. So um, consider that with the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. And thank you for your word that comes to us. God, teach us what it means to know you, to know your story, and to submit ours to yours so that what we're walking in is true life and life abundantly. For each of my brothers and sisters here today, God, I pray that you would work deeply within us, again, the redemptive story of God, that we might know you and understand your work in our world and so be filled with the knowledge of Christ, renewed in our minds, and transformed, seeing the strongholds, the arguments, and the vain imaginations crumble as you, our truest stronghold, are made more and more manifest. In Jesus' name, amen.